and welcome back to the Cinefessions podcast. This is episode 137, and my name is Brandon Chowan. Joining me tonight, we have Ash Collins, Mark Nadeau, and Melissa, whose last name I don't have. <laughs> so, you're just like Madonna. You just get a first name. That's how popular you are. So, Mark, how's everything going tonight? Good. Good. On days I- off, dealing with insomnia. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm feeling a little... Uh, I could probably be part of this trilogy. Excellent. And how about you, Melissa? How are you feeling? I'm great. Off work, but working tomorrow. So. Okay. Very good. And how about you, Ash? How's everything going on your end? Well, I still have that whole second mortgage thing going on, but, you know, yeah. buy my second house. No buyers yet. Man, oh, man. Uh, we kind of have, like, uh, I, I don't want to jinx this, so I'm just going to leave it alone. Yeah. <laughs> probably smart. Aren't we Excellent. a band of merry people, huh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So tonight we are here to kick off the Apocalypse Trilogy via John Carpenter with a review of The Thing from 1982, and I am hyped. And you so know what? let's do this. I did some uh, quick research. We're the first mm-hmm. movie podcast ever to talk about this film. Yes, that is a fact. So expect, and revela- you can... expect revelations, wait, wait. new trivia. Did you use Bing to do this research? I asked Jeeves. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> oh, I remember that was so cool. And so, like, just blew my mind when I used Ask, Ask Jeeves. Yeah, because, like, if, if, if I'm looking for, you know, uh, uh, let's say what kind of pornography am I into right now? Anyways, uh, you know, <laughs> I like to get any answers I ask with a with a nice, like, snotty British accent, you know? Like, there you oh, go. Sir, if you go to Uges, you will find multiple entries in what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, well we can, hey. We can edit this opening right out. <laughs> it's obviously not funny the cats are not even meowing so uh, right and that's that's generally our bar to determine if we're being funny or not so oh, yeah thanks kids right sometimes you hit sometimes you miss that's just the way it is you got to swing to uh, to hit a home run though oh, they, right they so. call me big whiffa we're not swinging no no we we, we, we don't swing <laughs> oh man well bunts. hey <laughs> anyway oh boy so before we do all that, though, let's talk about how you can find us on social media. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. You can email us at contact at cinefessions.com. And you can also leave a voicemail if you want to be part of the show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's 1-302-448-8255. You can also check out our long list of past media reviews and all 137 podcast episodes right over at cinefessions.com. And also, if you're a fan of the show, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever other podcast app that you use. Those reviews help us grow, help us reach a larger audience. So we really appreciate you guys taking the time to leave those reviews for us. And just as importantly, if you do like what we do, please tell your friends about the show. The more people that know we exist, the more people that can tune in. So we appreciate you, whether you're leaving those reviews or sharing the episode, telling your friends, however you're doing it, we really appreciate all that. All right, Ash, what has been going on in your world of media this past week? Uh, well, I'm like three episodes away from finishing Star Wars Rebels. Yay! Awesome. Uh, yeah, so like the last two episodes were fucking heartbreaking because holy Uh-oh. shit. Yeah, uh, 
really, really well done. I'm actually, I think I'm actually liking this one better than the Clone Wars series, just because the Clone Wars series had like a lot of characters. I mean, it was across a war, so you know they, they mm-hmm. you know, it, you still got to know the characters pretty good, but um, Rebels, you've gotten it's a much smaller group, so you've gotten to know them a lot better. Um, so yeah, that yeah, last season's been pretty awesome. Um, okay. Good. I watched, uh, we rewatched Avatar, the James Cameron movie. Uh, it was the first movie we watched after I got our TV set up. Um, okay. Uh, still pretty awesome. Um, and we also decided that we needed a bigger TV for the living room because our house is fucking huge now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then apparently we were on a Sam Worthington kick because we ended up watching, um, the Titan on Netflix or well, I've, I've watched it. Um, my wife's finishing the last like half hour now. Um, but, uh, now that one was interesting. It's a slow burn. Um, some decent, it, it's more sci-fi with a tinge of horror. It's not, it's more like a sci-fi thriller type of thing. It's funny. It reminded I, me I actually that. watched that, yeah. uh, just, uh, yesterday. Ah, okay. And uh, it starts off. Re- it starts it. off really well, which I'm really into. It's like you know, the Martian, and then like the last third of the film sucks, and it's like the the shape of water without any full frontal female deaf nudity. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I it, it gets pretty slow toward the end, and, and but then it picks up again. Like I don't know, it just it kind of feels like it hits a wall towards the end of the movie, the into the third act. I think. Yeah, so. I, I did not like the third act at all. I like the slow burn, the first two thirds of the film, because it's like, it feels science based, even though it's far fetched. And then the last mm-hmm. third, it just becomes a, a regular monster movie. And I'm like, eh, I was kind of disappointed by, uh, by the end. Yeah. Hmm. Um, also watched, uh, a movie called The Beyond, um, it was on Netflix. It's shot like a, partial found footage film but also like a documentary well not really a found footage film it's more like they actually set out to film it with you know cameras and stuff so it's they film it like it's an actual documentary but it's a sci-fi flick um okay uh it's it went places i was not expecting um and it was interesting um but it uh, i don't know if you don't it, it was interesting if you like kind of like hard sci-fi, but if you're not, you know, if if you find that kind of dull, um, you probably find this movie dull. I mean, it, mm. it feels it feels a lot like a sci-fi documentary. It really does. Um, okay. So it, that one was, I thought that was fun. Um, but uh, let's see what else have I been doing? Oh, um, well, Destiny Two is free, so I just bought that. Uh, well, free for PlayStation Plus subscribers. Yeah. So. Yeah, get that before October because free. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, let's see what else was it. Oh, um, I really, really because I've been interested in the Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Yeah. There is a forty five minute gameplay trailer out there, mm-hmm. and they're like, "This is you know alpha game footage. <laughs> it looks fucking amazing already." Um, mm. So. Yeah, you know, if you're interested in the game and and want to see how it plays like and everything, they you know, go take a look because it looks awesome. Um, yeah, I am definitely interested in that. I've I actually been trying to avoid though that video that I saw just because I want to kind of experience it when I play it. Um, but everything I've seen up to this point looks just 
really fucking cool. And so it's definitely one that I'm, I'm interested in picking uh, in trying. I don't know if I'll be able to purchase it, but at least renting when it comes out. Yeah. So, but um, other than that, it's been a lot of work. Um, yeah. So. Excellent. Oh, and I did find um, while we were unpacking uh, my copy, you were mentioning your Stephen King books. I found my original yeah. copy that I bought of The Stand back in when was this 91 yeah okay 91 when it came out it has gary sinise and molly ringwald on the cover of it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so, yeah but yeah, perfect that well that's a good week, week. yeah actually yeah so for myself um so really what i've been spending the majority of my time is i is i've discovered this uh server i guess this media server called plex p-l-e-x and so it's really, really cool. So, like, my entire uh, digital collection of movies. So, not like, I'm not talking like movies anywhere or voodoo. I'm talking movies that I've ripped to my computer. So, like, the DVDs, I've ripped most of my, or not most, but a number of my DVDs to my computer. I've ripped them there. So, I have them on my hard drive. Um, and, like, uh, my TV series, I'm going through and doing those. And so, anyway, I am able to load these into Plex. And like basically if, if the file is named, uh, correctly. So like for a TV season, like I've, I've been doing boy, ripping my Boy Meets World DVDs on here. And so like I have boy television folder and then Boy Meets World. And then in there I have like season one, two, three, all the way through season six. And then I have the season na- or the episode named like Boy Meets World dash S01, E01 for season one, episode one. So then Plex goes in and you, lo- you know, you, you direct, you direct it to the folder. And it goes in and loads all of the like metadata for it. And so it'll load up like the, um, the, the episode name, the cover art, the cast, the episode description, everything like that. And same for movies. Uh, and then you can download Plex on, like I have it on my smart TV upstairs. I have it on my PS4 and my Xbox One. And we, you can load it up. And as long as my, you know, cause I have it in my external hard drive. So as long as that's active. I can then, it's, it's just the media server. So if you ever use the media server, it's the same idea, except the difference is that this kind of loads all the data for you and it looks a lot cleaner. And so it's like, you know, it feels like I'm browsing Netflix or Hulu, but I'm really just going through my own media that I own. And it is pretty fucking cool. Um, the uh, streaming on it has been really solid so far. And so um, I've been just trying to like get all the stuff I want on that into my external hard drive and just kind of going through because I have multiple hard drives and trying to get everything onto this one so that I can use this to stream all my my digital collection, which is really cool. And so I've been spending a ton of time doing that, just kind of ripping these discs because it's not a super fast process. Um, but while I've been doing that, I uh, went to Disc Replay this past weekend. And while I was there, they had a uh, the reason I went was because they had uh, a sale going on a movie. So DVDs like four ninety nine and under, or five, I don't remember the price. Whatever they were a dollar, and Blu rays five ninety nine and under were all two bucks. And so um, I I went there and picked up some some Blu rays, uh, but two of the ones I picked up were wrestling ones. And so I picked up the um, Sting Into the Light documentary, which is like a two disc set that has you know a bunch of his matches on it as well as the documentary. And uh, Brock Lesnar, Here Comes the Pain. Now, I was kind of pissed at myself because I got home and I realized, oh, I already owned Brock Lesnar one. 
and you don't they don't allow returns at this place which sucks but um so anyway so i have two copies of that now but anyway i watched both of those the brock lesnar documentary sucked but the the matches have been a lot of fun to watch i've not completed the second disc on that one yet um but the sting into the light documentary was was really solid and uh just the the match selection that they had on it was really cool so i actually watched through like eight hours of sting and sting matches uh over the past few days so that was interesting um but it's really cool. I've always loved Sting. He was always, you know, my favorite in WCW. Um, and so just kind of watching how just like what a, a genuinely good guy he seems to be and how, you know, he's just one of the more re- respected in, in, in the backstage area. And so I thought that was just kind of cool to see. And I really enjoy watching his matches because he's always, always puts on a good show. Well, that really is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> very, very much so. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, so yeah, that's, so that's the, the only kind of film I added to my list was Sting Into the Light. At Disc Replay, like I was saying, uh, along with the, uh, Brock Lesnar and, and Sting Blu-rays that I bought, I did grab, uh, these were for $2 each and I actually, out of the, I bought, uh, 10 and I ended up getting two free. So it comes out to an even less per movie average, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but I grabbed the taking of Pelham one two three, both the original and the remake, because they had it. Very good. Now the original is is not the Kino Lorber release, but hey, that's all right. I'm, you know, who, for two bucks. Was that on cares? DVD or Blu-ray? Blu-ray. And who released it? I can't remember. It was the one that came out before the Kino Lorber one. Oh, uh, and I don't have it. it. It's over there, and I'm not getting okay. it. So I don't know. <laughs> but just curious. It, just like a generic, nothing, nothing uh, like, like special like, about it at all. Like a Mills Creek or something. Mm, I don't think it was. I don't think it was Mill Creek. I tell you, when when you guys are talking about your media section, I'll get up and actually go go grab it just sure. to, to see to let you know. But along with that, I grabbed uh, Patriots Day and The Wrestler, which I love mm-hmm. and I've been wanting to watch again, and so I was happy to to grab that for so cheap. That's a great film. And uh, I grabbed 127 Hours, which is one that I saw in theaters and haven't seen since. And I, I really liked it when I saw it in theaters. And so it's just one I've, I've been wanting to rewatch. And so it's cheaper just to buy it for two bucks than to rent it. So yeah. I did that. Yeah, I've never seen that one. Uh, you were talking about Spy, Mark, mm-hmm. a couple, maybe, I don't know, a few episodes ago. Um, you said you liked that one better than the other one that you oh, watched that was kind of similar. Uh, the Spy Who Dumb It To Me? Yes. Yeah, yeah. You said you liked that one better, right? Oh, big time. Yeah, so I, I saw that one and grabbed that one. Again, super cheap. Um, and then they had uh, The Last Unicorn, which I've never seen, but I know it's like a you know popular animated you family never film. never seen what? The Last Unicorn? What yeah, is wrong with never you? seen it. Oh I, a little God. bit before my time, I guess. I don't know. Um, but it was two bucks. It's an so. amazing movie. Yeah. I had yeah, to- I'm excited to watch it. I've heard a lot of good about it. So I had an ex. It was her favorite film. So now by oh, really? dissociation, I can't, uh, I can't like it. Right. <laughs> well, so. the the only thing the only thing that is really really terrible about the last unicorn is Jeff Bridges singing. But other than that, it's a great film. <laughs> oh man! And that theme song will like penetrate your brain and just fester there for years. So just be oh, I be love- careful. Be careful. Well, penetration. That sounds exciting. So, uh, the the, yeah. uh, the last one I grabbed was uh, Ouija, just because. I wanted to see it, and it's cheap. So, of course, I, I found I realized I already had like the voodoo copy of that one. Okay, so another one I probably didn't need to buy, but hey, Not for two bucks, whatever. Exactly. So yeah, so that's what I grabbed. So that you know, ten ten DVDs. I spent less than seventeen dollars. So I mean, that's a pretty pretty great one. Or not? I think I said DVDs. I meant Blu-rays, but 
Uh, yeah, so it was definitely a good sale. So I was excited to uh, be able to get up there. Well, that's a good load of films. Uh, unfortunately, mm-hmm. there's nothing like nearby that I can yeah. do something similar at those rock bottom prices. Right. So I, I, I'm not saying I'm jealous, but uh, I'd love to get those savings. Just your Russian guy. I got. That's true. I do have my Russian guy. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I take everything back. Yes, exactly. Um, on the, uh, I, I had, didn't play any video games, didn't watch any, uh, legit, I, I didn't wait, I didn't even watch SummerSlam or anything like that. Um, but I, I did read, uh, the first four issues of the Immortal Hulk. And so Marvel recently did a, I think they calling it like the ref, the refresh. Okay. And so they're starting at, you know, issue one for all these different books and Immortal Hulk is one of them. When I was reading, um, I've always find I, like, I really liked what I've read of Hulk in the past, but I feel like trying to find a good Hulk graphic novel or uh, story is a little more difficult than trying to find like a Batman, for example, or you know, Spider Man. Um, and so I was hearing good things about this, and so I decided that I wanted to try it. And I am really glad I did. This this uh, story is fantastic. It is. It's like the Immortal Hulk put into a horror universe. And really? uh, just like it, the themes are so mature and so dark. Uh, it, it is, it's just fantastic. Like I highly, highly recommend uh, these first four issues. They are, they are just so damn good so far. Um, you know, I gave like three of the four, three and a half out of four stars and the and issue number two, I gave three out of four stars, but so good. I mean, like just the opening couple panels, like couple pages of panels is, is so kind of shocking in what it does it's it's so really it's just really good uh i definitely am going to continue this uh as it as it goes along um but it it's fantastic so i definitely recommend the immortal hulk um starting right at number one if you guys uh, are interested in comic books at all definitely worth your time it was, it was awesome and then in the audiobook side of things so i was actually given a uh, not not because of anything special. I was on Reddit. I go on Reddit at work sometimes, and um, through the audiobook section or Audible Reddit, whatever it was, um, this guy was handing out free codes to this book that he had just um, uh, not published, but he was the narrator for it, and so he was trying to get it out there. And so I contacted him. Was like, hey, I'd love to you know try it out. And it was like a, it's really like an action thriller. Um, it's called Clean Kill, written by uh, I think believe it was Adam Nichols. Um, there's there's a whole review of it on on Cinefashion. So if you want to kind of hear my full thoughts, you can check that out. Um, it was all right. It, it it's very much so a B movie, just in novel form. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not very intelligent, and it kind of just the longer it goes, it's super short. Like the audio audio book was like six hours, or I'm sorry, like five hours and eight minutes. Um, it's only like 260 pages or something. And, um, you know, it, it, it was okay. It's like right in the middle, which, you know, it's just, it's very forgettable. But uh, it's the first of uh, so far what's a three books trilogy. Um, I don't really have the desire to continue on. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, I told them, you know, that because I took the, the, the copy of it i told him i'd review it and i did for it. so so it, so i've kind of fulfilled my obligation with it and i think i'm just done with that series not not for me um i also 
So, uh, you know, I'm kind of taking over the Friday posting for Instagram. So tomorrow I'm going to post about two Goosebumps audiobooks that I finished this week. Uh, Actually, it'll be three by the time I post tomorrow because I'm in the middle of a third one right now because they're so short, you know. Okay. Um, But I I, I finished The Haunted Mask and Monster Blood. Um, Both of these are classic Goosebumps tales. Um, And right now I am in the process of reading One Day at Horrorland, which is the cover for that was always such an iconic Goosebumps book because I was obsessed with Goosebumps books as a kid. I loved collecting them. I didn't read them nearly as much. So it's kind of like what I do now. I just like having things and I don't complete them. <laughs> but um, yeah, so going through the One Day at Horrorland, it's really good so far. It's probably my favorite of the three um, so far, but I'm only about 20% in. So yeah, I'll finish those and I'll leave just uh, some kind of brief thoughts on the Instagram about that. So you guys will have seen that by the time this comes out. But uh, but the the big one I read last week was um, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, and I like am just obsessed with this book. It it is so fucking great. Um, and again, my full thoughts. I I I, I wrote up a review, so it's on Cinefashion, so you can definitely film. It's a long one, so you can read my full thoughts there. But I was kind of worried about it because when the book was out, everyone was loving the book, talking how great it was. Then the, the movie came out, and you know, kind of uh, people I talked with didn't love it that much. You know, kind of thought it was too much in terms of nostalgia. And so I was like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not. So I just kind of kept putting it off. But um, I, I did end up listening to the the audio book, of course, by uh, Will Wheaton, and. What I liked about it at first, just like all these references back, and it's not just what I think is so cool about it. It's not just references to these, and they kind of move on. It's like this: this the '80s is basically the world that drives these characters forward, and so it's not just a simple reference and you know, kind of like a, a nod to it. It's really just this whole it exists kind of in that realm, and so it just feels more genuine that way and feels more legitimate. Um, and I really just loved it. And so that's kind of what got me at the beginning. And then I just like, I just kept wanting to listen to this. Normally I only listen to my audiobooks while I'm driving to and from work and at lunch. But, uh, this one, I, I couldn't do that. Like I, I wanted to listen to it when I got home and I just kept going. Um, and it, it's just, it's so fun. I absolutely loved it. I ended up, um, you know, giving that four stars, obviously. And I really want to see the film. Um, I've been trying to reach out to people to get the uh, digital copy on the, the Google Hangout site where they sell the digital copies, and uh, I just have not been lucky yet. And so uh, this weekend, assuming that, like I was telling uh, you guys, you know, Bridget could literally have our child at any point now. So assuming that we uh, get a, a regular three-day weekend and it's not uh, filled with pregnancy, then we're definitely going to go – I'm going to go pick this up at uh, Family Video and, and – uh, give it a viewing because I, I just I loved it so much. I absolutely fell in love with it. So yeah, the, again, the my full film, thoughts are on Cinefashion. So if you want to hear those, but yeah, the film is different than the book. Like that's uh, what I keep hearing. When yeah. they go to uh, when the uh, Percival goes for the second key, it's completely mm-hmm. different, and it is oh. awesome. Uh, okay, yeah, I wasn't the biggest fan of the book because I thought all the pop culture references was just stacked on one on top of another, mm-hmm. and. uh there's not much original writing to the book because it's all references. At least that's how I perceived it. So I wasn't a big mm-hmm. fan of the book. Um, I think it makes a better film. And uh, I think once you do get a chance to see it, you I think you might like it more than the book itself. Because I heard Ernie Klein's second book, I think it's called Armada. 
I heard it's it terrible. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> That's honestly, exactly what I heard. I don't think he's a good writer. He had a good idea, but I don't think he's a good writer. So uh, see, I, re- I I liked his writing style. Um, you know, I'm no. You you have read many more books than I have, and so you know I'm no connoisseur. But uh, just I, I liked what was presented here. I just I liked that his style was. It seemed. Um, well, it's just, a, uh, it's an easy casual, read. Exactly. And yeah. I was able to get into it really, really easily. So I like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so uh, that's that was kind of my obsession last week was Ready Player One. And I'm so glad I read it. And and I really liked Will Wheaton as the narrator. I know some people generally he's like a love it or hate it kind of narrator uh, from what I've been reading about him. Uh, but I, I definitely I thought he was he was great. So yeah, so that I think that pretty much covers everything I've been doing um, in the past week or so here. So, yeah. What about what about you guys, Mark and Melissa? Do you want to go first, or Mabel? I'll be quick. Okay. Um, like I said, I don't watch too many things other than like sort of in the morning when I'm getting ready to go. So I watched um, the series The Sinner, or at least the first season of it. I understand the second season's coming out shortly, but I don't watch anything until it gets to Netflix. So, um, yeah. <laughs> or at least Canadian Netflix specifically. Um, but it was really, really good. Like Jessica Biel does a phenomenal job in, in the series. I do think um, the promotion around this series was really, really dark and like made it seem like it would be something new. And I do think it sort of reused a lot of old tropes like about two episodes in I was pretty sure I knew what was going on and I was right um, okay I mean, that usually happens to me I'm often right Mark can tell you about that um, <laughs> what? <laughs> but uh yeah so but it's still it was still there were still a lot of things that were really fresh um the actors are were all excellent and um it did have some I, I think uh for some people who aren't as into murder as I am, some really uh, mm-hmm. exciting moments. Um, and uh, I watched Disenchantment, which I think I mentioned before I finished it off. It's a pretty cute series if you're into The Simpsons or Futurama, probably more so Futurama style, but magical. Okay. Um, and I read a book on um, Matahari which was really, really bad. <laughs> like, super bad. <laughs> um, I can't actually remember the title of it right now. Uh, it, was, it was called The Spy, but it was very, very short and very bad, so I was glad that it was short. Um, and then yeah. I read a lot of policy documents that you guys are probably not interested in hearing about. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's work stuff. But my work will relate to our discussion on the movie later. Because um, I work for an Arctic research station. So that I'm excited for to talk about. So I'll let Mark talk are, about it. Is that true? That that doesn't seem yeah. true. No, it's true. Really? For the Canadian High Arctic oh, Research Station. It's yeah. damn wow. true. That's right. So I have a major problem with this movie, and I will tell you all about it later. Ah. Oh my goodness! Hey, so Disenchantment. This looks amazing. What uh, is this on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's an original. Oh, this would, I think this came is out like right last, up my alley. Yeah, it came out last Friday, I think, right? So, or last? Okay, I was because I've even heard of this. Of yeah, the seventeenth. A few of my friends who are much more into like The Simpsons or Futurama than I am. Um, they're just kind of like, oh, you know, same old, same old. But I really enjoyed it and thought it was really like, um, as per the usual with those like more adult, uh, themed cartoons, it tackles, you know, a, f- 
some interesting issues in different ways. So um, race and things like that in a, in a funnier way, light touch. Um, and it's just, it's just awesome. good fun to watch. So you can think a little, maybe not realize you're thinking and laugh a lot if you enjoy that humor, which I do. So cool. Yeah. Very yeah, and, good. Uh, as for myself, not too, too much new since uh, we're doing a really short uh, recording period between episodes. Um, so I, I did watch the Titan yesterday, which we've already talked. Um, I thought the makeup was really good for a film that isn't that great. Um, and it just seems Sam Worthington is stuck into this sci-fi role now. You know, he's got the Avatar sequels, he did Titan, he did Terminator Genesis, I think. So he just seems kind of pigeonholed. But actually, I liked him in this role. Um, I thought the film itself, again, was really good up until that last third when it just became a totally different film. So I was kind of disappointed by that because I liked where it was heading. Um, but as for two other films we haven't discussed yet, um, I also watched uh, from 2016, Little Sister. And it's about this uh, girl who wants to become a nun, but comes home uh, to see her family because her brother came back from the war and I guess he got hit with an I, uh, I guess IED. And, uh, you know, he's just having difficulty going back to civilian life because he's disfigured. Um, okay. It, it's really good. Um, the lead actress, her name is Addison uh, Timlin. And uh, I know her from Odd Thomas. She was uh, uh, Stormy Lewis in uh, Odd Thomas. Uh, her other films. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, her other films I don't recognize her from. Uh, I've never heard of them before. But mm. uh, she was really good as Colleen in this one. So she's a former, like, goth teen who's now, like, becoming a nun. So it's really interesting how she kind of goes back into her past to try to bring her brother out of his shell of like misery and, you know, and pain because of his, you know, PTSD. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, Ali Sheedy, which I didn't recognize at first plays her mom. She was fantastic. Uh, Barbara Cramden has a smaller role as the mother superior of the convent that she's at, which I thought was really cool to see uh, Barbara Cramden in a uh, holy role. Um, but yeah, it's on <laughs> Netflix right now. It's from 2016. I really like that one. And other than watching uh, The Thing, uh, I went to the movies today to uh, use up some of my cinema passes. And uh, I watched Mile 22 with Mark Wahlberg. Um, so it's got uh, Mark Wahlberg, uh, Lauren Cohen from, you'll know yes! her, uh, from uh, The Walking Dead. And Aiko Uwes, which I know I butchered his name. Now you He's nailed it. Oh, did, did I? Awesome. Um, <laughs> I have no idea, he, but it sounded great. So you'll, you'll know him. Have you seen the movie The Raid and The Raid 2? I haven't yet, no. But is he the main okay. character, though? Yes. He's, is it about okay. ants? No, it's not about killing ants. Oh. No. No, <laughs> that would be fucking it's, amazing, it's though. Heractophobia um, <laughs> 2, The Raid. But uh, yeah, no, so he's, the lead, he's the lead actor. I think he's in another movie on Netflix right now, like Dead Spin, Dead Kick. Whatever, but yeah. he's a really cool martial artist, and uh, he was really good in this film. Um, John Malkovich is also in it. Uh, Ronda Rousey, the WWE no Women's Champion, is in it. Right. She's a horrible actress. I'm sorry. She is not really? a good actress. Yeah. And yeah. everything she does, she's a great fighter, not does a good actress. she smile a lot in this? No, no. No, she does not. She swears <laughs> a lot. Um, yeah. I heard some really bad things about the film. 
And I kind of liked it a lot. I thought the action sequences were really badass. Um, if you like bad movies like Assassins with Stallone and Antonio Banderas, or That's maybe... a great movie. What are you talking about, bad oh, movie? Well, it's not great. But, you know, if you like that style of movie or like X vs. Sever, another Antonio Banderas film, um, you will like Mile 22. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, his character is kind of like a genius, but with rage issues. So he kind of goes on a lot of rants. So he's a little annoying, but the rest of the actors are actually really good. I, I liked it more than I thought I would. Um, it's on the verge of, would I buy this? And I'm like, ah, it's on the cusp. If I can get it for cheap, like 12 bucks for my Russian buddy, then I probably would. Um, so yeah, that was Mal 22. Um, apart from that, I'm playing, uh, I'm, I'm still playing Golf Story. I've, I think I logged in about 20 hours into the game. No, about 15 hours into the game so far. Um, oh, was, I didn't know was, you started it. Awesome. Yeah, I did. I probably post about it whenever I have the chance, but, uh, I think I'm pretty far in the game already and I don't know how much left there is, but, uh, apart from really boring fetch quests, I'm enjoying the golf portions when there's actually yeah. golf to be played. Uh, exactly. I find it's a little story heavy and it's kind of, it's humorous, but it's not, it's kind of groany, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I do like the golf mechanic. I like the 8 bit golf look. So, where are you in it? Um, I am in the posh, uh, at the posh golf course. I forget what it's called. And when I had this last saved, I had to uh, give meals to a whole bunch of people that are sequestered because of a murder in the, uh, in oh, yeah, the, yeah, okay, yeah. So, I don't know how much game I have left. Probably, yeah, not, probably at least another five hours. Yeah, that's what my that's what I would have said as well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it's actually quite quick. The golf is a little forgiving. Um, so mm-hmm. it, is it really challenging? Well, not really. I'm breezing through it pretty quickly, but uh, I'm enjoying it, and it's a change of pace from Darkest Dungeon. So so I'm there's that. really interested to see how well you do at the like the at the end of it, the final yeah golfing part you have to do because that part. Is where I nearly stopped playing the game because it was just so frustrating to me. Well, the the game at points can be frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, like uh, there was one mission, I guess it was the uh, in the uh, Halloween themed one, where yeah. I had to do the guys like modified course with only fifteen strokes to do like six or seven right. rolls, and mm-hmm. uh, I had to probably redo that one like five or six times. So how yeah. many strokes into how many holes? Uh, 16 <laughs> strokes into about eight holes, five to eight <laughs> holes. I don't know. Don't I mean, look at me like that. That math is right. Yeah, that yeah. math is right. Uh, so pretty much you have to, to get like have each hole with two shots. Anyways, uh, right. so yeah, so I- I'm enjoying it because it's a change of pace. But I think once I finish the story, I probably won't touch it again. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd play the game just for the golf. No, um, that was me too. Yeah, I haven't touched yeah. it since I beat it. And apart from that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's really fun. Uh, well, me and Melissa, we got tickets for the uh, Ring of Honor uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling Global Tour that's happening in November. So I'm very pumped for that. Awesome. So we've got tickets for the show in Buffalo on the 9th of November. And then we've got tickets for the show on the 11th in Toronto. So I'm pretty pumped about that. And Now, uh, will you drive or fly to Buffalo? Oh, we're going to drive. It's not far. How how long is that? Like eight hours? Maybe four. Five. Oh, that's it? Four or five hours? Yeah, it's not far at wow. all. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do that. Um, and then, of course, this weekend, because we're recording this on the 30th of August, um, September 1st, it's all in. Cody Rhodes' uh, independent show with the Young Bucks. Mm-hmm. 
So if you have New Japan uh, Pro Wrestling World, .com or NGPW World, you get the event for free on a tape delay. So I won't be, oh, I won't okay. watch it live, but as soon as it's done, the live uh, event, it should be on the service within uh, a few hours. So uh, hopefully Sunday morning, we'll be able to watch that. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it for me. I got nothing really, nothing else really on the, uh, do we have anything else? Oh, we're still watching Supernatural. I think we're on episode 18 now of season uh, nine. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's going well too. So yeah, that's pretty much it. Does Canada celebrate Labor Day? Yeah. Yes. So you get, oh, well, you guys don't, your jobs don't do like holidays oh, like my I bank do. job does. Yeah, mine oh, does. I work with, okay. Yeah. I work for, I'm in the public service and we get, it's okay. a stat holiday in Canada yeah. too. Yeah, I'm awesome. working it, but I want the time and a half. So. Oh, good. It is all good. Very good. Yeah. I'm excited work, for so a three day, day weekend. Off. Oh, jeez. Excellent. Yeah. So, with that, I guess we'll move on to our review for the week, eh? Yes, let's start. So, we are talking about The Thing from 1982. So, if you've not seen The Thing, there will be spoilers. And I can't imagine you haven't seen The Thing, so I'm not, I don't need to say it again. So the Thing had an original U.S. theatrical debut of June 25th, 1982. Directed, of course, by John Carpenter, written by Bill Lancaster, based off the uh, novella by John W. Campbell Jr., entitled Who Goes There? It has an IMDb score of 8.1 out of the 313,331 current votes, which went up a remarkable deal since yesterday. Um, it has a Metacritic score of 57, which kind of... Shocks me. Uh, an 83% tomato meter score and an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 92%. It currently has a four point, or currently has 4.28 out of five stars on Letterboxd based on 57,193 reviews. It had a $15 million budget and a $19.6 million total domestic gross. That number according to Box Office Mojo. And it clocks in at 109 minutes. The so, reason the critics trashed this movie... Is mm -hmm. because it came out the same time E.T. did. Yeah. Like yeah. the same fucking summer. Yeah, I think exactly. there was a two-week window between both films. Right, yeah. And it, it was a, a, a bust, really, at the, at the oh, box office. And because of E.T. If it wasn't for exactly. E.T., it might have made a few more bucks. Yeah. What a summer, though. Like that, I know people have done podcast series on the summer of 82, uh, but it, just like a great <laughs> – just 82 in general, just a great year for uh, genre releases. 82 and 87. Two great yep. years. Exactly. So, I, uh, of course, uh, Ash, what is your history with The Thing? Um, God, I've been watching this movie since I was like 9 or 10, I think. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the first time I saw it was um, when we uh, our Rite Aid stopped carrying rental videos or rental VHS tapes, and I bought it. <laughs> so, okay yeah that was that was a while back but yeah, yeah no yeah so i've it's i've watched it usually i think probably at least once a year i think yeah pretty close to it i know you you, you used to always watch it during the the cinefest and summer screams challenge pretty religiously so excellent and what about you mark oh man i can't recall the first time i saw this film um i bought the i guess first dvd copy of it when it came out um and I don't know how many times I've seen this film since, but uh, mm -hmm. yeah, I've got 
easily 20 years with this movie. I don't think okay. I saw it prior to its DVD release, though. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I did. Yeah, and, and how about you, Melissa? What's your history with the thing? I think Mark and I watched it, or he showed it to me sometime last winter, and I slept through it. <laughs> okay. And then we watched it again uh, earlier this week. Um, okay. But that's my... It's before my time, so... And I've never yeah. seen E.T. either, so I can't make a comparison. Oh, okay. Interesting. Very I've good. Seen yeah, a burlesque and- routine based on the movie E.T. That was fun. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> So I assume the alien masturbates with a red finger. That's what happens. Yeah, that happens. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite deleted scenes, actually. Drew was way too young for that scene. (laughs) 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 Oh, God. Um, Yeah. And and I have seen the thing a number of times now, but I actually only saw it for the first time. I was in undergrad. And so- Actually, I think I was just kind of just finishing up undergrad. So it had to be uh, around 2008, I think. So probably only about 10 years ago, I saw it for the first time. Um, and then uh, it was one of the films I, I used in my um, the, the film class that I taught at, at West Virginia University. Um, and so I, you know, of course, spent a good deal of time with it then. Um, but yeah, so I, I own this on, like I said before, uh, DVD. And then I own three Blu-ray versions of it. Um, and I watched this one. I did the, cause I checked out my Scream Factor release and my Arrow video release. Scream Factor release is a new transfer from the two, uh, 2K transfer. The, the thing from Arrow was a 4K transfer. So I was like, okay, we're going to go with 4K. Yeah. I totally forgot that this was a region B release only. Yes. And so I, I do have a region B Blu-ray player, but I actually don't have it plugged in right now because I bought a, a PS3 off of Amazon, I think I've, I've told the story before, and yep. it happened to be a UK PS3. And so I, I don't have my my region free plugged in because I don't need to. So I just use my uh, my PS3 to watch it. But uh, right from the, from the get go, I'll just say the 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 Arrow video transfer of this is absolutely stunning. Like if you love this movie, you oh, and you have a region free player, or you just live in the UK, then you owe it to yourself to pick up this. Um, this 4k scan of the thing and actually scream factory uh is i I hate that scream factory does this but now they're doing the steelbook bullshit yep uh, where they double dip but that scream factory steelbook is actually going to be the 4k release versus the 2k that's release. i'm not talking uhd i'm talking the scan itself is considered 4k versus 2k I- i'm it hating, is garbage i agree I'm, I'm hating how they're double dipping all the time now yeah, they're just you know they they've run through all these movies now and they're just doing like what Anchor Bay is doing or it did mm-hmm. back in a day and they're just repackaging the same films over and over again. Um, oh, but, uh, taking a a Pelham monster through was an MGM Blu-ray, by the way. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. And like now, I just saw today on uh, online that uh, Scream Factory is doing a, a tin of uh, or I should say a steel book for Streets of Fire. So, oh, okay. I didn't see that one yet. Yeah, the art does look nice, though. I do like the art, but I'm not going to double mm. dip just for a for a steel book. It, yeah, I I stopped collecting steel books years ago. I just don't care about them anymore. I know Chris um, Wolverine Factor on on Twitter. He is obsessed with steel books, and so he's he's a huge fan of them. But uh, even he's not doing these Screen Factory ones. I think it's just bullshit how they're yeah. how they're doing it. But yeah, but now the layman's what is a steel book? It's, it's a it's, Blu-ray case ahead, Mark, that's uh, that's made with like metal. It's just a steel. 
And you and you guys are convinced to buy new movies because it comes in a new case. I'm not. But well, we're saying that we're not. We're saying, yeah. Are you listening yeah. to the conversation? I'm just dropping a little shade on perhaps are. I would probably, you know what? It would probably work on me. You know, like uh, I'd probably buy 18 different versions of the Princess Bride for more photos of Carrie Elwood. I'm sure there's a book you can buy for that. Oh man. Anyways, uh, I forgot. Yeah. um, so still uh, Stream Factory, so they're doing all these double dips, but they did just uh, announce a release of like two women in prison films from the 80s. Yeah, I saw that. that. I actually want really that. Really good. So for yeah. as much shit as they're kind of piling onto the fans, they are right. releasing some some like gems that I'd like mm-hmm. to check out. And they just announced a new, um, another Carpenter, or maybe it's not recently announced, but they, maybe they updated what's coming on the special features for it, but I forget which, do you remember which one it was? It was another Carpenter film. No. I don't remember. Mouth of Madness, maybe? Quick. No, that one's already out. Oh, man. I feel like I'm going to see it and be like, oh, yeah, ah, you know what? I don't, I don't see it. I don't yeah, remember. I have no idea. But Starman, maybe? I think it might be Starman. I think I it's Starman that they own. announced recently. Yeah. Okay. Um, but they they have they're gonna have almost like they have so much of Carpenter's filmography on in their releases, which is awesome. So this entire trilogy I own thanks to Scream Factory um, collectors editions. So, but yeah. So anyway, with that in mind, right from the get go. So I i've always loved this I, let me ask this before we kind of jump in. have you guys seen um because obviously this is a remake have you guys seen the original that um <laughs> the thing from yeah. another planet or a thing from well, another it's world? not it's, a remake it, you gotta you gotta think of this it, the this is not a remake of the previous film it's more a remake it, it's a different telling of the same the story because they're both yeah. based off of who goes there I think mm-hmm. this is a much better retelling of who goes there than the 50s B horror film. I um, really like The Thing from Another World, though. I thought that was a fun movie. I really enjoyed it when I watched it um, maybe a year or two back. Yeah, I've never seen it. I don't know if it's okay. true or not, but when I was reading up on the movie, there was I guess there was a number of different producers and whatnot before John Carpenter, and he had some qualms about signing on because he really liked the 1958 uh, movie and wasn't sure that he could or that he desired to produce something um, to compete with that. At least that's Mm -hmm. like one of the things that I read. I don't know if it's true or not or whatever, Wikipedia. Right, yeah. And I feel like I I do remember reading something about that in the past as well. But very interesting. It'd be such (laughs) such a different movie without Carpenter behind the helm but yeah so right from the the get-go i've always loved like this this seemingly random ufo crash or you don't even really see it crash we just kind of this ufo appearing and then disappearing right at like right after the universal logo uh it just was it's it's so quick but it kind of sets in motion the entire film and i've always enjoyed that yeah, because like you're starting the film and you're not sure exactly what you're watching, so mm-hmm. you're, you're seeing this this saucer like burn into the atmosphere, yeah. and then the credits start start rolling. And I guess uh, Carpenter had issues with the director's guilt that he didn't want to have 
the opening credits, like you know, right. like the names um, at the beginning, like that. But I guess mm-hmm. his hands were tied. So yeah. So the opening of the film isn't exactly how he envisioned it, but I think it's still uh, it's still sent a. Um, um, you still got the gist of exactly what's going on, but uh, yeah, it, I would have liked to see exactly how he would have opened the film. Mm-hmm. Instead yeah. of having these credits like placed or sandwiched in the middle of the two pieces, so right, a, right. I'm just curious. Yeah, and well, I don't know. I kind of like, um, <clears throat> I kind of like having the you know uh, Morricone's theme playing over the credits like that. Though it, it kind of it's like you get that you know wild opening and then that great flash across the screen with the title, and then you know the iconic theme music just kind of sucks you in and keeps you going i kind of like that but yeah and i think it's so it's so cool how the uh, like the the music right from the start it just really sets the 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 tone for the entire film and it, it is that you know that iconic theme that that they that starts off right from those opening credits and it's just it's so fitting it's you know it just gives this kind of brooding atmosphere that i love so much yeah it, it's like a pulse yeah you know and it's a it's not a pulse that accelerates at all because the thing mm-hmm. is the thing so to me it's like the, the music really it's it, it's it's the the alien's pulse and like you know he just has the one mission is to to, to conquer you know right and it, he doesn't you know he, he doesn't it doesn't freak out it doesn't have any feelings it just moves forward and that's how I feel like it's a pulse. It's like, it's maybe, you know, like when you, uh, you're on a dragon boat, you've got the guy with the drums in the back. It, you know, it's the rhythm of the alien. It's also like, a, almost like a machine where it just slowly mm-hmm. spreads and spreads. Right. Um, so it, it, it's, it's quite chilling. Yeah. It was really interesting to have gone to see, like we went to see John Carpenter in Montreal and he played the this theme so i like mm-hmm. i recognize the music but not the movie so that was a interesting so it was evocative right. i mean it was so evocative even without the the scenes and it really is quite riveting i the score is fantastic <laughs> yeah definitely agree with you there it, i mean it's just one of those iconic horror scores that demands to be uh, listened to even if you're not watching the film so and these you know, kind of that whole, we see this UFO, this thing happens, and we don't really know what's going on. And that whole theme kind of continues with the opening here, because we, uh, right from the start, we, we just see this this helicopter flying through the sky, these Norwegians. And all of a sudden, we just see this beautiful dog, and it's being shot at. And it's like, what the hell? Like, I remember that, like, bothering me so much when I first saw this film, because I was like, what is happening? Like, why are we shooting at this dog? Um, And... Which just is exactly what all the Americans at the base think. What the hell are they doing? Exactly, and and the the idea that Carpenter establishes right in, in the opening here is that we are going to be as an audience in the exact same shoes as these characters in this movie. Um, when these Norwegians are speaking in Norwegian, we don't know what they're saying, just like they don't know. He doesn't put up subtitles, you know, and it's very specific choice. Crazy uh, and. Sweeps. Right. <laughs> They're Norwegians, Mac. Um, and so I, I love that, you know, basically throughout the entire film, we don't know more than the characters do. We know essentially what they know. And I think that helps drive home kind of the uh, the, the, the brooding uh, paranoia of the film. 
I feel like I know yes. more than the characters know because they do a lot of shitty science. <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out right now. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, I and to be fair though, the uh, what there's what two actual scientists on that on that team? I think. Are you in? Then ca- they have like ca- a cook, two pilots, um, a doctor, uh, and then I don't know other, the guy who's in charge, who seems like an admin, the guy who works the radio, and then like two other guys who are just kind of. Like yeah, but muscle. I'm not. I'm not a scientist either. I work with scientists, and so like there are just like very basic protocols that like Mark was like, well, this is the '70s, but I'm like, yeah, no, you're still going to be, you know, using more quarantine measures. Like you're not going to be testing blood openly in a room full of other people with your bare fucking hands when you're like, this could contaminate me, but I'm just going to stick my finger right near it. Like, come on. But it- at that point, though, I feel like they are so distraught and just kind of fucked up that they're not really thinking about stuff like that. Yeah. I, they're just trying to figure well, out to make excuses for how them. It's just sloppy. I, I agree uh, with you. I, I think at this point, you know, during the Antarctic, they're kind of, you know, as as remote as they can yeah. get. You know, right. And, and Carpenter not- does a great job establishing how remote they are with um, uh, windows. You know, saying what's his first line? He's like, you, you know, we haven't reached anybody in two weeks. Yeah, and you know, you expect me to, you expect me to get somebody? Well, that's exactly it. You know, so like, do they need quarantine measures when it's only them? <laughs> right. Well, of course, to protect themselves. But at the same time, they're getting like an alien. Well, first of all, I don't think the actual lab, or if you want to call it a lab, it's just more like shacks together. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've got a level one quarantine lab to begin with. Like, we don't really know right. exactly what type of research they're doing in the first place. Yeah. Um, but it just seems when it comes to an alien infestation that they're probably ill-equipped for it. Well, anyone is going to be ill-equipped for an alien infestation. <laughs> Not me. I'm fucking, I'm ready for it. Never, Mark. That's I'm, right. Mark, Mark's I'm already infested. The majority of research Word. stations on the Antarctic are more like encampments. So there's a variety of different types of research that are being done out of these stations. And the Antarctic ecosystems are actually pretty simple compared to, like, the Arctic. So they're usually studying, like, small bugs or, like, parasites and things like that. If that's- also, my research station just released new research on Canadian Geographic. You can look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I, I'd be ready for those aliens. I'd be like, "Hell yeah, try me, motherfucker!" You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Punch them all in one punch. I I love the like the chess game moment is just so iconic to me. Like, you know his his first line, the first line of the film. He's just so cocky. He's like, "Oh, starting to lose it, old girl," or whatever the hell he says. And then he gets the checkmate and he just dumps his uh, whiskey or whatever it is, is into the computer cheating bitch like it's just such a iconic line i absolutely love that moment well it, it just seems that uh, mcready is in the antarctic because he's running away from something they did mention something about him having ptsd from the vietnam war but nothing really alludes to why his character's there he's just a pilot um and he's also a pilot that, you know, gets thrusted into a leadership role, which he probably didn't want in the first place. Right. Uh, because he really wants to just, you know, in a way, he's got his own Go to shack. his cabin. Yeah, he wants to exactly. go to his cabin to get drunk. Exactly. So he's he's hiding there. And we don't really know exactly um, why. We can just assume that uh, he saw some shit uh, back in the last war. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. I just I just happened to, to Google Outpost 31. 
just to see what they were researching. Um, but yeah, you have a biologist, a meteorologist, a physician, a cook, the assistant biologist, a geologist, and the like. The dog handler, chief mechanic, helicopter pilot, assistant mechanic. Yeah, I don't know hmm. what the hell they were researching, and I didn't really go right depth to it. Exactly. <laughs> hey, sidebar: since you said Outpost Thirty One, Mark, have you played the game that you bought yet? The board game? No, <laughs> okay. I haven't. It's it's collecting dust in my closet right now. We invited gotcha. friends over to play it, and then one of them was like, I don't play board games. And we were like, you agreed to a board game night. What the fuck? Yeah. frustrating. I assume yeah. you've never talked to that person again. Um, I, I, I uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the record, uh, I did not bring this up. Right. <laughs> just kidding i'm just kidding yeah um paul so palmer's character is just so like odd he's such an oddball <laughs> character um but i do love like toward the beginning one of his you know one of his first couple lines is he's like they're talking about taking the chopper up or whatever he's like sure i'll take you and then they're like no and he's like oh thanks for thinking about it though like that line always makes me laugh but his character as a whole is just so bizarre to me. He's, I, he's just a weird guy. Oh, he's the best. He reminds me of Face from A Team. Yes. <laughs> or is it yes. Face? No, is it Face? Well, no, no, not Face. Not Face. Um, um, Murdoch. Mad Barkley. Murdoch, yeah. yeah, yeah, Murdoch. Yeah, he reminds me totally of Murdoch just to a lesser extreme level. He's just a burnout, wants to get yeah, high. Exactly. You know, he's, he's getting a, probably a decent wage flying up north so mm-hmm. yeah south, uh, he's um, at the antarctic's in the south babe oh whatever you, you you go far enough you're hitting north again anyways so <laughs> just depends where you're looking i suppose that's right just mm. flip that globe around yeah spin on his axle mm-hmm. whatever <laughs> uh, i love the uh the first shot of the dog um after he's kind of at the camp uh, he's he's under the pool table, so the camera uh, like swings down, and we see him under the pool table, okay, and then you yeah. get the boom, 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 like the again that iconic theme starts up right when we make contact with the dog, and it it automatically makes the dog feel more ominous and important, but we have no idea why, and it's just it's smart filmmaking. Well, and 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 since we're we're picking apart one of my favorite films anyway, um, mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, you would never do as a dog handler is put a strange dog in with your other dogs in the right. kennel anyway. Exactly. You would put him in a separate fucking room. Yeah. Thank you, thank you, sir. Thank you. Even animal like when we adopted our kitten, it was don't put her in the ho- rest with the rest of the house right away. Keep her in her own room for a month, like. Basic. Rules are different in Antarctica. Also, they do what they want. so I've been trying to figure this out, and I was look, look, tried looking it up a few times online, but they they don't really make a specific time reference, except for a few times. I think someone says like winter is coming, essentially. Um, so the thing is, if they are in the late fall, that kind of bright daylight would not exist. Just like in the Arctic, the the Antarctic has like full like 24 hour darkness in the winter and at that time like if it's mm. late late fall you wouldn't be getting bright bright sunlight you'd be getting like just seeing the sun like for a few moments at the peak like edge of the horizon kind of thing so like trying to nail down whether or not this is 
like uh, kind of another like sloppy issue or if they're actually maybe more in like the spring um it yeah that that bothered me like yeah, I don't know where they I don't know where they are but I will know I do know that those day shots looked fucking gorgeous on my big screen. It was shot in uh, British Columbia. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. in Northern BC actually near where I grew up. I've lo- I just realized that mm. today when I was looking uh when I was reading up on the film but That's cool. Um I mean yeah, it looks beautiful but it yeah. might have actually should have been like duskier. Uh if it's close to winter time, there wouldn't have yeah, been I don't bright know. daylight. I don't know when it was. I don't. I don't recall. Yeah, don't the recall only things I can anything. I can see situating it time wise is like a number of times. You know, like we can't reach anyone. It's either winter or near winter. So, but mm. in either case, you would expect more dark. Right. Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't consider that, but. <laughs> oh, I've, the next time I'm going up to Nunavut to the Arctic, it's going to be like 24 hours of darkness. So I'm thinking about it. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. They do make a mention, though, someone, uh, they make a mention of it, I can't remember, um, early on, they're talking about, um, the, uh, they're like, cause they're like, maybe cabin fever with the, you know, why the Norwegians went nuts, Mm -hmm. uh, and they're like, this, this early? You know, the, the, so it's like I think, but they're referencing, he says like, they, you can't go, you can't have cabin fever in eight weeks. But I don't think that that kind of places it in a, in a season at all or a time of year. Well, well to me, cabin fever is more like being cooped up for a long period of time, right? Exactly. And that's yeah. what I think he's getting at is you can't do that in only eight weeks. Yeah. Well, and it just depends on when the Norwegians would have initially made camp because they've had 24, what, 24 hour. They've had year round camps in the Antarctic for a really long time. Like the majority of the people that are there is in the summer, but there are year long, year round camps. So what happens a lot is researchers will go down to Antarctica in the summer and do research and then they go up to the Arctic, um, in the off Antarctic season and do Mm. different or like similar, um, themed research in other parts of the globe. So. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I don't know. Yeah, I I have no idea either. <laughs> um, so, who? Uh, what is the kind of the the general consensus amongst you guys? Who is the first shadow that we see as the dog walks into the room down the he, you know down the empty hall and he sees the shadow on the wall? Okay, presumably making that kind of the first I, possibly gl- infection. I'm glad you brought that up because up until like today's screening. Mm-hmm. I thought the whole time it was, um, uh, it was, uh, let me go back here. What's his name? Uh, I was thought it was Clark, that he was going to Clark's room, but obviously it wasn't Clark because. Yeah, because he... Clark, Clark isn't infected. Yeah, so um, I, I think. The popular the sh- theory is Blair, I think. I thought, I always thought it was Blair, maybe, to start See, with. I thought today it was Norris. Oh, because yeah, it could be Norris. Right? Um, so so I'm guessing it's... Well, Norris or Palmer. I think it could be Norris or Palmer. Either one of those two. Yeah. Um, the only reason why I think it's Norris uh, today is just it just looked like it could have been Norris. But you're right, though. It could also have been... Um, it could have been Blair as well. So I think it's one of the two. Yeah. And Actually, honestly- I have the... I have the um, I think it is Norris because I've got the I have a screenshot up and it looks like Norris's profile, uh, right? It's just the the side of the face, yeah, yeah. So, but up up until like today, I always thought it was Clark 
because he's a dog guy, the dog would go up to him, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, that makes no sense. Like, you know, it just dawned on me. T- After like 40, 50 viewings of this film, it just dawned on me today. How, how ridiculous is that? Oh, no. I mean, I think that's one of the uh, kind of uh, amazing things about the film is that, you know, you, there's still going to be things you can find, you know, no matter how many times you watch it, which is so awesome. Yeah. So who do you think it is? Um, I honestly, just from like the, the shadow outline, I thought um, maybe it was Fuchs, but I, I don't think that's who it was. But like just from the sh- from the <laughs> outline. To quote, that's kind of what I thought. Uh, to quote Blair, it ain't Fuchs, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I'm not sure. And I think that's what's so interesting about the film is you can't. It, it's nearly impossible to really kind of pin down who is who, who is the thing at any point. And I think that's what makes it so fun and 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 what really helps drive home kind of the paranoia of the movie. Um, I think kind of. There's that line by, um, I think it's by Blair, that really just kicks off the entire uh, kind of that whole paranoia aspect. And it's when he says, how long were you alone with that dog? I mean, that's like the entire start of the enti- of, of this paranoia aspect, which plagues yeah. the entire film. Yeah. When he asks uh, Clark how long he's been with that dog. Well, and, and you... Uh... If you take that, um, how long, you know, you're talking, what, a day, maybe two, before mm-hmm. they lock Blair up out in that shack, right. and, and Fuchs starts going through his notes, and, mm-hmm. and then that's when Fuchs is like, yeah, we should start, everyone should be preparing their own meals, exactly. you know, and all that other stuff, and it's like, we've been doing this for, what, how many days now? <laughs> right, yeah. But now, the, the thing is, though, is that why, would, okay, so let's say it was Norris, that uh, the dog visited, why didn't Norris have any symptoms of being infected? And same thing with uh, with Wolfram Brimley. Um, you know, he's acting normal, but then some other situations, the thing just kind of explodes into its monster form. So, like, like when, like, during the whole, um, during the whole uh, blood test scene, uh, mm-hmm. Flyboy didn't start you know, turning until the alien found out it was caught. Right? Right. So it was like Palmer. So yeah. obviously this alien yeah, Palmer. So obviously this this alien is really uh is really smart. But how did he like how did he know that he was caught? You know? Mm-hmm. Well, because that was his blood, so <laughs> Yeah, but it's detached. Like the alien like I don't know. It just it just seems at some points the alien ch- changes right away, and in some situations it seems that there's a more of a longer gestating period. So I think you could argue that it has like a hive mind, and so while parts are sep- like when parts are separated, they can operate seemingly on their own, but are also somehow connected. But this is actually something that bothered me about the movie as well is that inconsistency. So if this life form is intelligent enough to mimic um, different life forms and to you know that kind of thing, then like why isn't it more devious or why doesn't it plan more or why doesn't it react better? Like, so that, that inconsistency around it just was kind of bothersome to me, but then also could be as simple, simply explained, I suppose, as 
um, you know, the pressure to maintain like, uh, those mannerisms and or maybe it's even pressure to maintain like a bodily continuity or conformity like maybe it is within that thing's nature to be all spiny and weird and have lots of legs and outside organs (laughs) well and to it you know then there's there's a good you know thing there too but yeah i was thinking too yeah you really um i mean uh who was it? Not Blair. Um, Norris. Norris is the one who has a heart attack and, and dies. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It mimicked him to the point where it actually had a heart attack. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and kind of played dead at that point, even though it wasn't dead. You know, it was just kind of like, that's, you know, I don't know. It, I think part of it was it, it realized it couldn't, um, it wanted to survive the winter warm and ready to go and not have to be, you know, out in the frozen cold again, um, and and be able to, you know, infiltrate, take over all these people and then just go to the mainland and keep going. Mm -hmm. Well, of course. Yeah. And yeah, that is also assuming it wanted anything. So. Or had any knowledge of a mainland. Right. But can, can it be argued though that, the, the thing only started to uh, kind of transform when it thought it had the opportunity to do it without being caught. And it just happened to get caught like with the dogs because he was put in the room with, you know, when he's the when it's the dog, he, he's put in there and then changes when there's nobody around. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, uh, who is it? Um, I think it's Benning's starts starts changing um but then he's kind of uh, they somebody sees him running away and he gets caught outside and then you know that's how he's put down um so i feel oh yeah because it caught him absorbed they it they uh, yeah they caught him being absorbed by it at mm-hmm. the time yeah fucking windows windows where were you man yeah exactly <laughs> so uh, first, first off, uh, McCready's cowboy hat in this film is just absolute perfection. Like, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I will never be that cool, and it's disappointing to me. I was going to do a five-year stint up north in uh, in Nunavut, and I told myself if I did the five years, yeah, I would get myself a McCready hat. <laughs> yeah, you'd have to. Absolutely. I, I looked Absolutely. online, and they're about eight hundred bucks Canadian. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's all custom order, right? Like, where are you going to find that hat? Wow. Uh, but so I found some replica places that would actually like, make that hat for you. So it was a little spice, uh, expensive. But yeah. I was determined to just own that hat if I worked up north for five years. That would, I feel like that would be the only thing making it worthwhile for you. It's pretty freaking epic. It's, yeah. It's also an impractical um, piece of headwear for... Um, significantly cold temperatures and high winds like yeah but you know he's a pilot yeah (laughs) right he's a pilot pilots don't necessarily care about comfort they care about you know being cool you have to look cool and not being beaten by a chess game (laughs) exactly (laughs) um and, and so I kind of mention it now just because it's such a an important aspect of the entire film and and kind of one of the reasons that you know it's revered so so highly at this point is the special effects work by uh, Rob Botin 
Motine. And so you kind of get your first glimpse of that. Like the when they go back to the Norwegian camp, uh, the guy who it looks like he committed suicide, right? Uh, the the blood icicles that are hanging down from his uh, from his hands that just looks so awesome uh and just that entire camp like i think carpenter and, and botine and crew just does such a wonderful job making that camp look as if it has been abandoned for months years even when in reality well, it hasn't because those those norwegians you know just left a, a day or two ago whatever it is at this point but they do such a great job with that and it's it looks so awesome well, what happened? Well, you know that? why it looks that awesome, right? Yeah, because it's the U.S. camp that was exploded at the end of the movie, and then they went and shot on the remains. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. the Witcher yes. camp is the same as the U.S. camp. That's awesome. It just filmed that a sequence. That's cool. But yeah, look, look, looks so awesome. I mean, it's just such a badass but, set but design. That that corpsicle did look pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I just don't see how he could slit his wrist and then slit his own throat. He, yeah, he the corpse like the neck's pretty wide open. Like mm-hmm. between between getting your arms done to a point where the blood doesn't touch the ground because it freezes so fast, I don't know <laughs> how you got you were able to slice your own throat as well. well Unless you did. It first. I don't think he did because you know if you watch the the prequel. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, the one with Ramona Flowers. <laughs> with Ramona Flowers, <laughs> yes, that one. Yeah. Well, I don't know it. Either way, it's still a what the fuck moment. You know what the hell happened here? Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then you know, right from that to the charred body, and, and just that that charred body is so fantastic. Like, and they bring it back to the camp, and even when they get it back to the camp, the steam coming off of that—I mean, that's just fucking brilliant on the part of of Botine. Like, to have that steam coming off him to show, uh, kind of that you know. That it it doesn't seem like it's been that long since this body was on fire. Uh, this and movie just makes so, me so really awesome. sad that um, Botine ended up retiring too. Like he mm-hmm. he like went through the eighties and a couple more movies after this. I think yeah. And he just like kind of vanished from Hollywood entirely. I don't. I'm not sure. I don't know what his path was after this. I guess. Yeah, I'm not sure where his career went. Um, but, I mean, he's I one of the. Don't know. He, one of the he best. Was like, yeah, one of the masters of practical effects. I mean, just wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read about the scene where they where the the torso opens up and bites off the guy's arms. Yeah. Um, they actually hired a double amputee and then like built the arms, uh, which they were like prosthetics meant to like explode and be all great. But I I, I thought I thought that was really interesting that like. Um, you know, they're not just like putting someone's arms behind them and exactly. And, and then I guess they made like a skin mask too for him to like wear, so he looked like the character mm-hmm. he was portraying. Which I find that is enough of a horror movie right there. Skin masks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at uh, his filmography on Wikipedia right now, and uh, he had some pretty sweet films. Like after the thing, he did yeah. Legend. He uh, he did the Inner Space RoboCop Total Recall. RoboCop, yeah. He did the three RoboCops. Uh, he did the first Mission Impossible. Then he went Mimic, Deep Rising, Free and Loathing in Las Vegas, Fight Club, and then Mr. Deeds and Serving Sarah, which I don't know what that is. That's from 2002. So, uh, ugh, his last movie was a Mad Perry film. That's kind of lame. Huh. Robocop, See, he did some- Robocop and Total Recall. That explains a lot right there. Yeah. yeah. But you have to think, like, this film is almost 40 years old, and those special effects hold up like a motherfucker. Right. 
I don't like. I remember uh, getting those um, those uh, trading those horror movie trading cards back in the day when I was a kid. And oh, okay. The thing ones were the to me were the scariest. Like they hold up. They they really do. I'd like to watch it in four K to see if there's a lot of appliance uh, edging. But um, like watching it again just on Blu-ray, um, I'm blown away by the special effects that they did back in '82. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I I I yeah, the way like it's this a so lot much of better. Is, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. A, a lot of it is the way they shot it too. They just they yeah. they were really careful to hide. And you can, I think the the one the one that most looks like an effect to me is not when the head first turns into the spider thing, but when it's crawling away. Uh, that one it, it be kind of it looks a little bit more like an effect than anything else, but um, but they did a really great job, I think, hiding a lot of this stuff, mm-hmm. or at least making sure the camera wouldn't pick up whatever they were doing. Right. Yeah, and I prefer this so much more, and I think you know we'll probably all agree that I prefer this so much more than with the remake with you know all the CGI of of not the remake, I'm sorry, the prequel. Oh, the prequel. Oh, totally. No, I think I've watched the prequel only once or twice, and I mm-hmm. don't feel I need to watch it again. I think I will right now just for, like, the, the you know, just to see how it holds up after yeah. watching the thing, you know. Um, but, it's like, I never have a desire to, hey, let's watch the thing prequel. That right. doesn't happen. Like, it's in my collection because of the curiosity factor, mm-hmm. <laughs> because I did not see that in the theaters. And I know, Ash, I'm you generally so watch them back to back, right? Yeah, well, I usually watch the prequel first. Yeah. Uh, you know, just because... Uh, For obvious reasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because, well, A, you're watching the better movie second, and, mm-hmm. and but B, you know, it it's supposed to flow into it. Um, one thing I do like that, though, is... Um, the testing scene. I do. I, I know. Yeah, you wouldn't put. You wouldn't want to put that blood that close to you. But on the other hand, you don't want to put down the flamethrower either. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, that was the one thing I did like about the prequel is their testing is completely different. They do something totally different to test and see who's a thing and who's not, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, honestly, I can't remember what they do at this point. But. Oh, it needed to uh, fillings. Metal metal fillings. Oh, when, that's and yeah. the prequel when it takes you over, it can't digest the fillings or right. do whatever with the fillings. So like they kept finding like uh, teeth file, you know fillings all over mm-hmm. the place, and like if you had like uh, like a leg joint repaired or t- whatever, you know like the screws would be laying around someplace and stuff like that. That's interesting. So, yeah, yeah, I don't remember that at all. <laughs> I guess I'll go with braces too, right? They can't uh, digest the braces. They mm-hmm. have braces. Right. Any good orthodontic? What if yeah, he had exactly. a retainer, but it was plastic? You think they would be able to... They'd probably just melt it. You think so? Maybe. Mm. <laughs> but uh, Just like know, that simple thing of like when he's pulling the insides out of that charred body. Like It just looks so convincing. Such a simple effect, but it looks so damn good and just disgusting. I love that. Oh, it's totally gross. Like all the special yeah. effects are gross, but they're supposed to be gross. Yeah. Like this thing is a monstrosity. You know. Like I don't want to ever come across one. Right. You know. Uh, so like again, for it, you know, still holding up. I I think that's amazing. Forty years later, almost. Yeah. Everything yeah, just looks like later. it smells like tomato amazing. soup. Oh yeah, and, and apparently, you know when. Uh, so when, I love uh, Blair the is, so uh, talking about you know, the, uh, the, the kennel the scene. 
And um, he's like, he's, oh no. I always it's think it's just kind of like uh, creepy and strange the when the dog so first walks in there. He's just staring at the wall. And that always kind of threw me. Smell bad. What the hell's going on? And, it really and then obviously all these the, this effects work the looks amazing. And then the dogs, like their reaction, like they're literally chewing the metal off to get out. That's how terrified they are. Like that's such a, just a cool visual. They were apparently, it was a legit. And then it ends with a fucking flamethrower. I mean like... What an awesome sequence that is. Yeah, uh, t- totally. I think it's fantastic. I think my my one question is, is like a flamethrower a standard issue at, at, at an Arctic or Antarctic research <laughs> Clearly. station? Clearly. <laughs> that, that's the thing is like they have a lot of weapons. Um, I never would have thought mm-hmm. a flamethrower would be one of them. But I guess, you know, if you have to de-ice something quickly. That's true. Uh, yeah. or, or even like, you know, your garbage, right? You can't. It's not like you can bury your garbage. So I guess they just well, burn their garbage. I can explain. Yeah, I I, I get the dynamite that yeah. I, I understood because you know mm-hmm. if you need to blast something when you're doing research, and then there's a geologist there, so it makes sense. But yeah, I just I didn't quite understand. I never I, I never thought about it when I was a kid, and it's like yeah, you think about it a little more when you're adult. Why do they have flamethrowers? <laughs> <laughs> I think what, one thing that was really interesting that I noticed this time around that I hadn't noticed previously. So they go back out to this area and they and they find this, you know, 100,000 year old UFO. And and they like refuse to say the word UFO. They don't say spaceship. They won't say alien. At one point, Max says something outer space. But like otherwise, they never say the word alien at all it's always just this thing and i think that's such an interesting thing to me because it's kind of like you know in a zombie movie you don't say zombie type of deal mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh i thought that was really cool I, I never noticed that before yeah i i can't see actually recall them saying anything else mm-hmm. just it's the thing so that's actually right. a yeah good observation. even when they find blair's ship they they're like he he must have been building it from spare parts they never actually say yeah yeah, that's exactly. Spaceship. It's just Blair was Blair was, you know was building it from parts of the helicopter. Yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. Now I think about it. That's interesting. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. And at the same time, Blair was building a ship, right? At the end. Yes, that's yeah. what I if, got. Yeah. If if they would have left him finish building it, then take off off the planet, that would have been a better result. Then to uh, right. Well, I don't right think he was necessarily take building a ship to leave the planet. I think he was building the ship just to leave the Antarctic. Ah, okay, fair enough. Because I don't think you could build a, a spaceship out of a helicopter. Um, a helicopter, yeah. I yeah. Mean, especially with as limited parts as he had, but I think you could build something to get you up in the air and across, you know, a body of water to another landmass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at the same time, we don't know what the knowledge base is of the thing, and they might know different propulsions. And I, I don't know. It right. just it looked like a saucer to me. So it's like they're trying to escape the planet because they're being beat in mm-hmm. a way. Um. So yeah, that was that was my guess is that they were just trying to actually leave the planet. But I guess leaving the continent would be the next best thing. Right. I mean, if that's the case, then why destroy the sh- the, the helicopter? Just take the fucking helicopter. Why why, why smash well, the pieces? They already have a flying. Uh, I thought I, I don't I don't know I thought so so that whole scene to me is um what's his fucking name God Blair yeah I don't I don't think Blair actually turns until he's in that cabin 
because he the, he destroys the the helicopter and the other thing the i forget what the other thing was um and Radio. then comes back in and goes nuts and trying to destroy all the other like the equipment because of the fact that he he a couple minutes earlier he found in this computer simulation this amazing amazing computer simulation that the uh, cells uh, would like assimilate and take over and it would predict that it would happen in about three years if it reached civilization. And so his goal at that point is to make sure that they can't leave. And so I think he destroys that stuff while he's still himself. And then while he's down kind of, you know, in his quarantine, I think that's when he eventually becomes the thing. Oh, totally. I, I think he's just, you know, he's trying to save the world mm-hmm. and he's had a bit of a mental break. So right. I believe that he was turned while he was uh, in that shack. Yeah. For sure. Just who turns him, though? That's the thing. How, how did yeah. he turn? No clue. Well, it ain't Fuchs. <laughs> no, it's, it ain't Fuchs. Uh, so who's Charles. underwear? Who's underwear's in the kitchen trash? <laughs> I, it's I probably think it's, McCready's. I think, I think it's Child's underwear. I think, oh, actually, that's not true. It can't be him at the beginning. Well, Childs doesn't turn, right? Or does he? No. Well, he doesn't turn, but is he infected? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe no, it's Palmer. Maybe it's Palmer's underwear. Well, yeah, you've got Norris and Palmer, who are definitely things, and then uh, Fuchs disappears, but we don't know what happened to Fuchs uh, necessarily. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. More unanswered questions. I really liked that the, uh, so I think it's uh, Windows and it has to be, who is it that dies right there? Bennings? Yes. Right? Yeah. So uh, uh, like. Uh, what scene? They are um, trying to, or the, there's like the dead body in the room with them. And all of a sudden the, um, you can kind of see the blanket move a little bit. Yeah, that's Bennings. Yeah. And then um, Fuchs turns around and Bennings is like being, you know. Uh, is turning or or whatever's happening, and yeah, he, and he his got death. fingered. Yeah, um, and that's oh right, because that's when he kind of he does like that. He's he that's when he runs away, and it's kind of uh, he gets caught outside basically. And it's such a, a, a interesting death scene there. I really like that one just because of how kind of uh, strange it is to see that blanket move out of nowhere, and then you know the next steps. I thought that was really cool. Blair really sums up kind of the feeling he I feel like Blair is such an interesting character because he in you know simple lines and simple moments is able to kind of uh set the entire you know theme or whatever of of the of the film um you know earlier on it's when he says you know how long have you been with that dog I mean that kind of sets up this whole paranoia thing um and then it's this I don't know who to trust is what he says when they get him in the quarantine. I mean, that is kind of the the through line of the entire film. It's, I don't know who to trust. And it's in one simple sentence and delivered so easily and so well. So it's just, it's a great moment for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, too, what I like about Blair is that it's Wolf of Brimley without a mustache because all, <laughs> all my life I've seen him with a mustache. So watching mm-hmm. the thing again today, 
to me, it's so weird that he doesn't have a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. But that's, that's just my personal thing. It's like, yeah, it's Wolverine Brimley, the Mr. Diabetes without yep, a mustache. Exactly. And it just, it just looks it? weird to me. I saw online the other day, um, Wolford Brimley was the same age that Tom Cruise is now when he did Cocoon. Then Tom Cruise is doing Mission Impossible, you know, the new Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Mm. That's what Scientology uh, will do for you. Keeps you young. Yeah, no kidding. If you pledge enough money, I suppose. Uh, um, I love Norris's reaction when they ask him to, like, be in charge. He's just like, oh, hell no. Like, he has no interest in that. Uh, just like, smart man, don't take that gun. Because then you're the one that has to deal with all the bullshit. Made me laugh. And I'm surprised it didn't take more arms. You know, I guess what paranoia is a factor in, in this film. But, mm-hmm. like, you, like, no, nobody really self-appointed themselves a leader until McGrady took, took the reins. Yeah. But I would have... Actually, maybe I wouldn't have. I don't know. It's such a weird situation, but I know I probably would have ran for a weapon myself. Probably wouldn't have used it. But just knowing it's there just in case. Mm-hmm. Because if I was getting attacked by the thing, I'd probably shoot myself. I wouldn't want to become what what that is. Right. Right. Well, apparently, um, Null's thought so, too, because in the original script, uh, Blair corners him. Uh, like we never see what happens to Nalls in the film, but apparently in the yeah. original script, uh, Blair corners him and Nalls kills himself rather than be assimilated. Yeah. Oh. Uh, oh yeah. So well, yeah, because yeah, I guess I just assumed, and I, that's probably what you know the intention was that he was just taken over and and killed by Blair because you know his hands are literally in his face <laughs> the last time we see him. But. Oh no, well, that's yeah, that, um, yeah, that's Gary. That's well, it, Gary. Yeah, that's Gary. No, oh, okay. Is the the, uh, the cook. No. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So wait. So what? So we don't see anything with Nulls then at all. I, nope. I just I just guess he gets assimilated as well, and he okay. becomes that thing under the yeah. He, after they after they split up when they're blowing up the base, right? Yeah, we don't see what happens to Nulls at all. Oh, okay. Okay. So that shot um, of Fuchs is in his office, and then McCready comes in after him, um, and that's when they that's when they have that discussion about I think you know everyone should make their own food. That shot is exactly what I was talking about last week when we were talking about Strangers Pray at Night. Um, that director took that style of shot and and used it a ton in Pray at Night. Um, do you guys, do you remember what scene I'm talking about? Like kind of the way that shot is framed. No. Do you, okay. Well, I can't explain it anymore, I guess, but, um, it, it's very much a carpenter feel that, um, what's his name? Johan, whatever takes in uh stranger's prey at night. Uh, so it was good to kind of have <laughs> confirmation that, yep, this is exactly what we were talking about when we were talking about, uh, prey at night. But I've always like this. This was so just weird to me. So in Blair's cabin, they come back and they're they're talking with him, and we just see that noose hanging there right in front of him. That always cracked me up. It's just like no one mentions it. It's just there. There's this noose hanging right in front of him, and it's just that's so crazy to me. Well, I think it's kind of funny. 
mm-hmm. just like you know it, it, it's it's the elephant in the room yeah it's like you know i just like the noose is hanging there he just wants to get out because he's better now but right. he still has that noose yeah. where he's gonna hang himself I, yeah like this <laughs> film isn't a funny film but no i thought that was like uh, I, I thought it was humorous yeah i like that moment I think one of the most uh, like one of the genuine creepy parts of the film for me is when uh, McCready, I think he's when he's talking with there's two people out there. One of them has to be um, Nalls. And he's like, you're coming with me up to my uh, shack or whatever. And he's like, why are we going up there? And he says, because when I left yesterday, I turned the lights off and then they pan over there. They, they show it and the lights are on. That to me, mm-hmm. it always gets me. That's just that's just fucking creepy to me. And I really oh, like totally. that. Totally. Totally is. Yeah. Really good moment. And we never really find out what happened. You know, I know. Which I like as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because frankly, I mean, at this point, like, I, because we don't get, you know, more information really than, than the characters do. You know, when they're thinking McCready is, you know, has been turned at that point, like, we have no reason to believe that they're wrong, really. Um, and so when he kind of comes back, that is an interesting, interesting moment for us. Um, and, and that makeup on McCready when he gets back from the cold, I think is so well done because uh, like his, he's talking and his lips are like half frozen. It's so, so well acted. Um, mm-hmm. And it just makes me cold watching him. I really, I really love those moments. Yeah. I, I just like how the, how the wardrobe gets just whiter yeah. and whiter as the film progresses. <laughs> right. Because, you know, at the one point they lose the heat and then pretty much it's an instant snow beard, you know, mm-hmm. from McCready. And, yep. uh, you know, all the clothing has like a has like a, a frosty sheen to it. And yet yeah. no one's zipping up their fucking coats. Where's their mom? Where's their mom? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I noticed that when um, I think it was uh, Windows, he like grabs his coat and runs outside, but he doesn't put it on. He's just holding it. And I'm like, dude, it's like fucking cold out. Like, how do you not have your coat on? But... I think it's just the adrenaline, but yeah. Um, so uh, Melissa talked about this a little bit, but the um, the moment of Norris's death, I think, is just you know the kind of the, the special effects work there is just so unique, so wonderful, and and just one of a kind. Um, like his head stretching off. You know, I, I remember watching like the making of documentary of this, and um, they're talking about how. Um, uh, like they they kept having to do this th- because they wanted to make it look realistic as the head was stretching off um uh, and and this makeup that they were using the, these i forget i forget exactly what it was but like the the plaster or whatever it was that they were using was incredibly flammable and in front of the camera carpenter wants these flames shook popping up because it's supposed to be you know a fire where they are and so how, um, you know, close this thing was to just like exploding on set was insane. And I thought it was always such an inter- interesting story. Um, but, the, but man, they pull it off. Like the, the hard work, the day they spent doing this was so worth it. Uh, like that head turning into the spider-like creature. I mean, that's like, that's straight nightmare fuel for me. Like that is, it's just so cool. It's creepy as fuck. Creepy as fuck. And like I mentioned before, holds up. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, like, how they actually did that, you know? Right. Uh, just, the, the puppeteering was top-notch. Yeah, I don't know if it's on – I haven't I, – I looked – I know the – I saw the commentary, but I don't know if it's on the uh, Arrow release or the Screen Factory release, but 
there's like a 90 minute, like a feature length documentary with Botine on the making of all the special effects. Um, it is absolutely worth your time. It, it is awesome. I've not seen the entire thing. I've seen the majority of it. And it's it's so cool uh, hearing him talk the, about how uh, they did all this. Yeah. The, and what's uh, a- There's like a on uh, one of the wiki pages for the thing. Um, they've got like a behind the scenes like sketch. Yeah. Of like the head and how they were going to do like radio controlled legs and everything else for the head and stuff. It's yeah. Kind of cool looking. That's awesome. What I think is so interesting too is that this uh, was filmed in and it was incredibly hot when they were filming this in studio. And it's supposed to be like in the Antarctic and absolutely freezing. That part always kills me because it's the complete opposite from when they're actually filming. So these people are dying wearing all these clothes looking like they're supposed to be in um the antarctic uh and well, so that's probably why they the, don't slip uh, up the clothes they did have the air conditioning like cranked up though if that you know to film it in the studio that way <laughs> i i'm just talking i remember uh in that documentary they were talking about that how the actors were just uh complaining because it was so hot as they were as they were doing everything oh yeah because um, you, you know you'd go from a, a a room that's set you know at like 60 degrees and then you go out of the studio set and it's exactly. like 90 out and you're in like yep. winter clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that documentary I'm talking about, I think it is on uh, disc two of the Scream Factory release. It's either the, I think it's the terror. It is. It's the terror take shape. That one is definitely worth the time to watch it. It's, it's a really fantastic doc. But um, another interesting thing, I'm sure everybody, you know, most people know this, but uh, and one of you correct me if I'm wrong, but. There was one woman that was ca- that was in this, and she was part of the crew. She actually left on uh, maternity leave during shooting, and so at that point, there was no female associated with like the making of this or the um, or in the cast at all, which I think is really, really f- strange. There, there is one uncredited female in this film, like on screen. Adrian Barbeau is the computer voice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize it was Adrian Barbeau. That's interesting. Well, because she and Carpenter were married at the time, so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Weird little tidbit, but. So. One thing that always gets me is just how quick and brutal Clark getting shot in the head is. Like, it's just out of fucking nowhere. One quick move and then boom, head, head shot. Like just so different than kind of the rest of the film it stands out to me because it's it's just such a a a normal kill i guess which you don't see in this at all and just the fact it's so quick too yeah like he he lunges and like gunshot right to the head but i can't fault mccready for that though absolutely i probably would have done the same thing i think the fact so going back to kind of the, the testing scene um what i love about that scene is kind of the way carpenter has it uh, has it um the the sequence of things um the fact that at this point palmer is the thing and they don't do that one last like it, it comes at a point when we least expect it because he's barely even paying um mac is barely even paying attention to what he's doing at this point you know instead he's antagonizing gary about how we're gonna do you last because i know you're the thing then and then ever like then just the shit hits the fan it just goes crazy um it's just it's so well done because to me, I just, I don't expect it. You know what I mean? I think that's what makes it so memorable and so, so cool. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is the best scene in the film, 
because the tension is so high. Right. You know, and like danger, like it could be anybody. I, I, I just, I just love the sequence of events. Mm-hmm. I love the fact, I, just testing the blood and then just even just the sound that the heated wire makes. Yes. The, like, like it just, it, it's such a perfect scene. Right. You know, and, and it ends with a bit of a laugh at the end. Like, it's oh, yeah. so well crafted. The, the sequence is perfect. My, arguably my favorite line in the film. You know, uh, I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, and, but when you find the time, I'd yes. rather not spend the rest of this winter. Die to this fucking couch. Like that, yes. to me, it's just one of the best lines in this movie. I It kills me every time. It's just so it's, well done. It's a total stress reliever after such a tense scene. Right, yeah. And then there's like, like the effects in that scene with the, the, uh, Palmer trying to like take over um, uh, whoever the hell it was that he was taking over at that point. Um, uh, Windows. Uh, just ah, it's just such a such a cool cool little couple moments there. And another another great line is the uh, generator's gone, and McCready says, "Any way we can fix it?" And Carrie just says, "It's gone, McCready." <laughs> that always makes me laugh, as well. Another another just fun moment. But um, yeah, and then Blair taking over Gary's face, like that that special effect is so cool. I don't because of the way it's done with like him kind of like. I don't. He almost like shakes his hand into him. I it, it it just looks really, really cool and like really well, like more realistic, more realistic than you. It should look. You know what I mean? Um, and and kind of that moment right before that, it's very ho- reminiscent of Halloween with Carpenter. He leaves this empty space in the frame, and you know what do you do with an empty space in the frame? Well, you have to fill it, and so boom, a second later is when Blair pops into view. So you can definitely see Carpenter taking, you know, something he learned from Halloween and applying it here. And I I really appreciated that. There aren't very many. Well, I I don't want to say there there aren't very many jump scares in this, I don't think. I mean, there, not there's a, a couple, but not there's a ton. a couple of them. Yeah. And I'm glad that they resisted the urge to do them. I mean, they had opportunity to do them all over the place. But instead, he kept this brooding paranoia going instead of, you know, just, oh, we could, you know, scare the crap out of people. You know, it, 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 he kind of, he set the tone and he stuck with it. And I, and I think the movie is much better for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. To me, like, this movie, it's not, it's not like it's not a scary film for me at all, and it's not really about that. It's a it's more of a psychological thing. It's it's more about you know who is the thing, um, who do you trust? It's about the paranoia that these characters are experiencing, and then as an audience member, I feel like we we go through that same type of paranoia if we are invested in these characters. And for me, I was invested in these characters because you know I I just enjoyed them as a group of, of people. And so, you know, it's not necessarily scary for me. It's more about kind of the, the uh, mental aspect of this, the, the psychological horror behind it, if you will. Well, I think it might not be scary for you anymore because you've seen it so many times. Like, I don't think it's scary either, but the film is scary, but just, you know, to virgin eyes. Yeah, I would agree with that. And maybe I, I, it is, I would absolutely but agree with that. I don't, re- yeah. I don't remember. I mean, mind you, I, I didn't watch it when I was young. And so it, there's a difference, you know. Um, but yeah. I don't remember it being scary the first time I saw it again. It was more about the psychological aspect. So, I mean, that can be scary. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, so I, it's just scary in a different way, I guess. I no, I tend to agree with you. I don't. I didn't find it to be scary, though. There was like one jump scare that did legit get me when they were testing the blood. I yeah. jumped. Mark laughed at me. Um, yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, I don't. I don't find it a frightening movie. Mm-hmm. I I wasn't like not going to have nightmares about it or anything like that. Though I do think it is a really great um, piece of analysis on what happens when you leave a group of men alone together. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's generally like what this podcast used to devolve into. So that's a good, that's a good uh, point. But so I know there, there's this kind of this. Uh, oh, hang on. Right before I get to that, so you know, I feel like if there's anything less than positive to say about this movie, it, it's for me. It's how e- kind of easily the end comes for Mac. Um, I, I understand, like. The struggle to this point was 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 great. It was vast, but at the end, it's like he just tosses this, uh, you know, this uh, basically this device or the bomb or whatever, and it explodes, and he just blows it up, and that's that. So it kind of comes a little easy. And so, like, well, you know, if there's because, anything, that's because the claymation or not the claymation, the stop motion animation didn't quite work right. <laughs> Because there was like a whole sequence like that they were planning on doing, and and they just they had to scrap it because uh, it it didn't work right. Yeah, I think isn't there a, a deleted scene with more of this in it? I, f- I feel like I remember yeah seeing yeah. this before yeah. on one of my DVDs or something. Yeah, yeah, they they actually have like the deleted scene with the initial like stop motion animation test and everything else. Oh like, yeah, they actually shot footage with McCready and everything. Yeah, I saw that. And then that. they were putting they were putting the stop motion full so you could see Blair the the final form of Blair thing at, you know toward the end and and they ended up having to just completely scrap it because it just was completely unconvincing. Gotcha. Yeah. So and and then, you know, this kind of goes back to something you met we touched on a little bit earlier, Mark, um with you know, at the end, there's this whole debate, you know, are these two people, is one of them infected? Is one of them not? Because um, obviously at the end, we have uh, child, uh, Childs and, and McCready. So I'm going to chime in on this. And I, for me, I, re- I don't think that either, either of them are the thing or are infected in that final moment. Um, seeing... As there are only these two left, to me, there would be no reason to hide, you know, who you really are. Um, As Max says, you know, they're in no shape to do anything about it anyway. So I feel like if one of them was, they would just attack the other and be done with it and then, you know, do whatever their next plan was if they have a next plan. So to me, I think that these two are both human at the end. Um, But I'd be interested to hear what your guys' thoughts were on this, if you had any. Well, no, I... I, I I, I don't think either of them are infected at this point. It, it just to me, it, yeah. Or maybe they're both infected. Nah, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think either of them are infected at that point. Like like you said, I think they're just settling down and they realize we're fucked, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so they share a drink. Yeah, you know, even though they don't necessarily like each other. Right. See, I I still think Charles was infected because he was MIA during the last fight. And uh, there's no point of converting McCready because, like, they're both going to freeze. So he might not be able to survive the whole transformation. So he's keeping Pat until, you know, body gets dug up whenever. And, uh, you know, the next 
explorers, scientists, you know, do like the Norwegians did and thaw the body and then continue the rampage of terror. So I, I believe that, uh, I believe that Childs is infected. Okay. Fair enough. Again, do I have anything to back it up? No, no. that's just good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> My interpretation. Yeah. What about you, Melissa? Any, any thoughts on that at all? I don't think either of them are infected. I think that's the, it's the sort of like hopeless end where mm-hmm. they're both either be assimilated or freeze to death. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's the British ending. right so out of curiosity have any of you played uh the video game the thing because it picks up for it was a ps2 and xbox it picks up right at the end of the movie it was so fucking terrible i I, I, you're literally the only person i've ever heard say that i've only heard good things about the game i i no i had it i got it for the ps2 and they're like oh it you know it replicates the feel of the movie no it is a first person shooter that no, it's thinly, yeah, yeah, it is. It's a, it's it, a it, third person shooter, but I'll let you go. <laughs> it is not third person on the PS2. One hundred. I will. I will agree to disagree. Uh, well, maybe I'm remembering wrong. I could be, uh, but it it devolves into a shooter game, and mm-hmm. it, there's like things running all over the fucking place. There's no. It's like the only tension. They're like, oh, the paranoia and all that other stuff. No, it doesn't even remotely hold hold to... Not even remotely. Like, the, the prequel film captures the feeling more than the video game did. And the video game just keeps throwing things at you. And uh, the PS2 version was terrible because it... Uh, uh, like, the... Like, um, the version I had, like I had to basically replay this one section because it was bugged. Like you were supposed to like slide down this hallway or something like that. And every time I did it, I died because like my character would get stuck somewhere. So I like, ended up having to redo like half the freaking game just to get to that point And then have to fight the giant monster thing. And, and yeah, it, it was stupid. I, they had a lot of opportunity to do something really cool with it. And it, eh, I think honestly, uh, Dead Space uh, for me was mm-hmm. is a more of a spiritual successor to the thing than than the thing game was for PS2. Gotcha. Or Silent Mark. Hill even. You e- love or that. Si- the Silent Hill games even. You know. Yeah, I-, I never thought of Dead Space as a spiritual successor, but it does make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think you're. Yeah, I, I I'd have to agree with that. So I played uh, like the first couple chapters of the game. I played it. Um, I played the Xbox version, but it's the same game. Um, and I-, I enjoyed what I played, uh, but then I ended up getting rid of the game for one reason or another. And I think I don't think I've picked it up since, but I've been meaning to. Um, but that's you know kind of what I hear is kind of the beginning is is better than the end. It kind of devolves a little bit as it goes on. Um, so I could definitely see what you're saying, what you're saying there, Ash. But yeah. Interesting. All right. So, Ash, what are your uh, final thoughts and your star rating for The Thing? Um, one of the best, I think, uh, examples of cross-genre. You know, you've got sci-fi, you've got horror. Uh, you know, they, they, It's a great blend of both. Carpenter is fantastic with this film um i think 
you know, he had the budget to do pretty much what he wanted. I mean, there's only a few things I think that he wanted to do differently. It just didn't work out. Uh, he had a great cast. The, uh, you know, the, the, uh, he actually chose somebody to do the score for a change. I don't get me wrong. I love Carpenter music, but you know, actually getting somebody else to do that, you know, I think was a good choice and, and Morgan did a great job with it. Uh, it's shot beautifully. Uh, the, you know, the lessons that Carpenter learned with his other films really work here. Uh, you know, he did like a lot of his tricks from Halloween work, uh, you know, the, even the fog some, at some points, uh, just the way he did it, the effects still hold up. I mean, hell, even the CG effects of a film from 2011 that was supposed to be the prequel to this movie, uh, don't hold up as well as the actual practical effects in this movie do. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a great blend and I absolutely love this movie. Uh, four out of four for me. All right. Excellent. So four out of four from Ash. Um, so I'll jump in here real quick. So yeah, it's, for me, the, I mean, the thing is, it's a sci-fi horror masterpiece, uh, and it has stood the test of time for over 36 years. It, combine, it combines some of the greatest practical effects works I've ever seen on film with a wonderfully paranoid story that puts the audience in the same shoes as the cast, which makes it even more fun to watch. It has an incredible atmospheric score that sets the mood literally from the opening shots in a cast that just drives the entire thing home. You know, I've seen this movie a bunch of times now, and I tend to love it more every time I watch it. It's it's just timeless and one of the greatest genre films I've ever seen. So I am giving the thing four out of four stars as well, which means, not to put any pressure, it's only one four-star rating away from entering the Cinefashions Hall of Fame. So, Melissa, what are your final you thoughts? Go to Mark if you and, okay. four-star rating. <laughs> Mark, what are your final thoughts and your star rating for the thing? Oh, well, again, uh, Carpenter is one of my favorite directors. And the thing I still don't think is in my top three Carpenter films, yet it's still a masterpiece. Um, from the special effects to the casting, um, I, I just, there's, there's nothing not to love from it. Uh, so I myself, I am giving it as well four out of four stars. All right, so that makes the thing officially the oh shit, is it the third or the fourth? I think Pulp it's the Fiction third, and yeah. the Matrix and the Thing. I think, right? Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Only the third film in the Cinefashions Hall of Fame, so that is pretty fucking awesome. And and that makes me what you just said blew my mind that you wouldn't even put this as a top three Carpenter film. No, what, I, I'd what? have to put. Uh, I'd have to put Halloween, uh, The Fog, and Christine above the thing. Really? The Fog? Oh, God, I don't I, I love I, The Fog. I like The see, Fog better. Mm, gosh, I need to watch that again. Like, see, I, I do like Christine, like but I, I, I don't think I like Christine more than I like The Thing. No. Yeah. To me, like The Thing and Halloween are not only battling for my favorite Carpenter, but they're battling for like my favorite horror film, period. Okay. And so, yeah. But I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Very well, interesting. I just have I just have a deep appreciation for all early Carpenter stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I just those movies. I, you know, what? It, it could also be you know on a different day I might give a different top three. Yeah, but yeah. just right now, like I just those films. I think I like 
more than the thing, mm-hmm. and yet I give the thing a perfect score. So right. they're really interchangeable, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, easily makes my top five. But yeah. I think uh, I don't know if it cracks my top three. Hmm. Interesting. Well, very cool. All right, Melissa. What about you? What are your final thoughts on your star rating for the thing? I would give it a two out of four. I really like the score. I like the special effects. But for me, it is an infuriating sloppy mess. <laughs> so, All right. Yeah. Two out of four from Melissa. Hey, fair enough. I, I understand. I really hate The Matrix like so much. I've never been able to watch the whole film. So I'm not really? surprised that we would have different. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, my God. I hate it so much. Yeah, winning's off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's interesting. Have you seen Pulp Fiction? Uh, I think I've seen... I haven't stayed awake through it yet. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. All right. Let's just move on. Let's just just get past this. this. Right now. (laughs) Please let's wrap this up. Oh, man. All right. So... That's going to do it for this week. So assuming everything goes according to plan, which as I was telling um, you guys before we started recording, my my wife is literally, there is almost 0% chance that the next time we record, I will not be a father. So um, who knows what's going to happen as we as we move forward here. It might just be, uh, you know, you guys running solo without me, but we'll see what happens. Um, but as everything goes according to plan, the next episode is set to release on Monday, September 24th. And we are going to be looking at John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness from 1987 as the second film in our Apocalypse trilogy. So I'm super excited about that because it'll be a first time watch for me. So as always, you can reach out to us uh, by finding Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. You can email us at contact at cinefessions.com or give us a call at 1-302-448-TALK. There's plenty of ways to get a hold of us, so please don't be shy. Tell us what you think about the show. Share any suggestions you might have. Books, audiobooks, graphic novels, movies, TV programs, whatever. Just share. We love uh, talking with you guys on social media. And another reminder that if you do like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is you might be listening to us. Those positive reviews help us reach a larger audience. So we really appreciate you taking the time to leave us that review and for telling your friends about the show. And Ash, remind our listeners where else they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Tumblr, D-H-G-F-A-S-H-E. Excellent. And how about you, Mark? You can get me on Letterboxd and on Instagram at mnadu 2 Awesome. And how about you, Melissa? You can find me on Instagram at sassymuffin. Perfect. And you can get me on uh, Twitter and Letterboxd under Simon1. That's P-S-Y-M-A-N-1. All right, so we talked about the thing, and it has officially entered the Cinefessions Hall of Fame. So this was an excellent episode. Yes. All right, so we just want to say thank you to everyone for listening to episode 137 of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember, in film we trust. We'll catch you next time. (laughs) 